Oh, he's not even listening to me. Are you uh, enjoying your last week of singlehood, or are you just ready to get that over with? <laughs> you got a wedding coming up here later this week, and I think Judd's actually looking forward to that one. All right, good to have you all here. As soon as you find your seats and get seated, go ahead and stand back up, at least if you'd like to stand. What did I do with my phone? I can't have you. Good to have you all here once again, and uh, if you'd like, and if you're able, feel free to stand up. You ready to bless the Lord this morning?
you blessing the Lord this morning and worshiping his holy name? And what does it mean to bless the Lord, O my soul? Come straight out of scripture, out of the Psalms. What does it mean to you to bless the Lord? You, we pray and we ask for God's blessing on our lives. But what does it mean to bless the Lord, O my soul? What was, I assume it was David that wrote those words. What was he talking about? Okay. Okay. Giving the Lord his proper honor and respect. All good answers. And praising him too. Amen. Ah, that's an important one. And quite often, as I'm sure you all know, it doesn't come naturally. You don't feel like praising the Lord. You don't feel like blessing the Lord. And I believe that's where you were right, Carrie, that David had to tell his soul. And trust me, you know, if, if you've read uh, the story of David and the kings and, and all the, the writings... You know, there were a lot of times where there were, in fact, most of the times, circumstances in David's life where it probably didn't seem conducive to bless the Lord. And he had to tell himself to do that. So, tell your soul every day, bless the Lord. Thank you. Amen. And understanding that that all comes from him, it's as the next song here talks about, it's not about us, it's not about what we own, it's not about our strength. My worth is not in what I own. 
satisfied in him alone. There's a few of you that do. I'm glad that you do. I'm still working on it. I'm glad that, that uh, and it, that, that's to be, that's to be commended. It, uh, some days, uh, it's uh, easier than other days, but I know for me it, it is, it is a, journey of continually understanding that. And there again, it comes back to what Sarah Edda said, getting your eyes off yourself. If your eyes are on your on yourself, you're not going to be satisfied in him alone. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Okay. Well, I know one thing for sure. Um, our emotions can't be trusted or be the uh, determining factor in those things. Um, That's right. having that understanding that that 
is where your soul is satisfied in him alone, I, I think is the big thing. If you're, if you're looking inward or to others to have your soul satisfied, it won't be satisfied, not long term. skilled to understand
situations in life sometimes more often than not where we don't know the way when you 
magic way maker. But put that in with light in the darkness and take a picture, okay, God's making a way. He has this path for you. And it's dark. You can't see, but you have this candle, a little lantern. Still darkness around you. He's the light in the darkness. How much farther ahead can you see walking in a dark path with a candle? Not very far. How far do you need to see? You don't need to see very far, do you? You can see what's around you. You can see if there's anything in the path that you're going to trip on. The light is where it needs to be. He gives you what you need. But so often I can, and I'm speaking for myself here, you want to know the path. You want to see that path way out. I know there's uh, roads in particular. I think of uh, Interstate 40, 40, 44. I forget which one. It would be Interstate 40, I guess, coming through New Mexico. And there's some spots there where you're up on a hill and you can see down through the valley and way up onto another hill. And you kind of pick out a landmark up there and, and check your mileage. And it can go 10, 12, 15 miles or more that you're seeing way far on ahead. Kind of cool. And that's often how we want to live our lives. We want to see way far ahead. We want to know what's coming. We want to have our plan. I'm there again, speaking for myself. But God says, I'm going to make your way. I'm going to be that light in the darkness, not light. In the light, don't need light if we can see everything. He's that light in the darkness for you. And he will allow you to see what you need to see to direct you on his path. One more.
just share this as an encouragement on Friday night with the youth we were studying these verses and I don't know if I know I've read them before but they came new to me um, Friday night or um, as we were studying this Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. And I think so often we think that we're in our suffering, we are terrible, it's, it's awful, I mean, we feel down. But look at what the example was that Christ set through his suffering. He was tempted in every way. He was tried in every way as, as we were for 30 years. It wasn't just one temptation in the wilderness. It was 30 years, or 33 years. It didn't end. That was the one we read about, but I believe every moment of his life he was tempted in the same things, the same ways that we are. And yet, it was because of his, his cries to his father, the one he knew that could save him and set him free. That was where life came from. And I think that's exciting for us. Like, I, I think we should be so excited to know there is victory to be had. Um, this morning, I just want to, um, let's just pray for Danny. I don't know how many of you know. Um, Justice and Catherine's it'd be Justice's brother-in-law Catherine's brother Danny he um, mishandled his pistol the other night and shot himself in the leg so he is in the hospital waiting on surgery right now but um, not just that God would heal him or that um, his leg would be healed but that God would heal his soul 
I think that's what he needs more than anything. And I hope that this time just really brings him before God and um, he can surrender himself to the power of God through this. Let's just, let's just spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this morning, Lord, that you are willing to in every way bring us to you, that the trials of our, of our life, the things that push us down in life are exactly what you have designed for, for us to come to you. You designed that because, Lord, you want us to see that in and of ourselves we cannot do it. Our own life is not, we are not capable of salvation within ourselves, but we need a Savior. We need you. And, Lord, I just pray this morning for Danny and for his soul. Lord, I pray that he would give all of himself to you, surrender himself, and, Lord, that he would understand that in you there is life and life eternal. There is true joy. There is true acceptance. There is someone who cares and loves him unconditionally. And, Lord, that in you is salvation. And, Lord, I pray that he would understand this and know this and that he would take you as his Lord and Savior, and, Lord, that you would save his soul for all eternity. And, Lord, I just pray that even as he is waiting on surgery today, Lord, laying in the hospital, I just pray, Lord, that you would you would be there with the doctors and you would be there with him. And, Lord, I pray that this would be a time of reflection. And as he's waiting, that he would understand that you are also waiting on him. And you have never moved. You have never departed. You have never changed. But you are still there for him. And, Lord, we ask that the surgery would be a success. And, Lord, that you would restore full use of his leg and... That he'd be okay, but Lord, I just pray for his, his salvation above all else. We just pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. try again. Good morning. How are you? Good. Are you excited to be here? Me too. Oh, tomorrow? School. Oh, I'm glad you like school. You're excited about school. I wish my boys were excited about school. Um, Okay, today I have something to share with you, but I have a question first. What is the most precious thing we own? Yeah, Tiff? We don't own ourselves. What were you thinking? You forget? What do you think? Do you have any ideas, Eden? What's the most precious thing we own? I think each one of us probably owns it. Yeah? Jesus? That's really close. Yeah, Tiff? Love? Good good answers, but we don't own it. What? I'll give you a hint. Yes, he got it. Good job. This is the most precious thing that we own. Now, here in America, we have lots and lots of, of Bibles, right? Yeah, you have the picture Bible. We have so many different kinds of Bibles. Yeah, and today I want to talk to you about our brothers and sisters in North Korea. Have you ever heard of North Korea? 
we should have Carrie get the... Yeah. Okay, so it is a part of the world where they're not allowed to have Bibles. Actually, if you would be found with a Bible, Benny, you know what would happen? What do you think, Tiff? They might kill you, or they might send you to prison, or they might send you off in a village all by yourself where you can barely survive. But not only you, but your whole family. So if anyone in a family is caught with a Bible, they will take the whole family and either put them in prison or kill them. And you know what? That's happening right now. Can you believe it? In another part of the world. I know, me too. But why do you think the Bible is so precious to them? Why are they willing to die just to have a Bible? Because they want to be with God. Because the Bible teaches us how to live and how to die, right? It's only through Jesus that we have true life, that we can be set free, that we have forgiveness of sins, and they're willing to risk their whole lives for that. All of that is called the gospel. Okay, so I want to I want to read you a story about. Oh yeah, can you show them where North Korea is? You don't know. Let's look. It's, in, it's somewhere in the north. <laughs> I need. Okay, come up here, guys. Look. So it's here. Back up just a tad, Benny, so everyone can see. This tiny, tiny little country right there. See, it's kind of a lime green color. Yeah. That's where North Korea is. And shall we? I'll show you. I thought that North Korea's. Can you Korea see it at all? You can see it. I thought Korea started with a C. That yeah, starts with a K. But look, okay, so we and live somewhere over here. <laughs> we live over here in the United States. Yep. So we could take a flight that would go all the way around here. To North Korea, to South Korea. That would take a long time. It would be much faster to, I bet, an airplane ride maybe about 14 hours and we could be there. Okay? Okay, now you can go back. Now you know where North Korea is. Thanks, Blake. Um, But I want to tell you a story about a girl. Her name is Bay. This is not her real name um, because. Uh, they wouldn't want to use her real name so that she doesn't get in trouble. But she, we don't know. Because if we did, then maybe she could get in trouble. And we wouldn't want that. So, North Korean persecuted Christian Bay was sentenced to a lifetime of backbreaking labor and starvation's rations just for having a Bible. If you were to see Bay during the day, you'd assume that her work was picking crops. Every morning in the village she's forced to live in, Bay spends the day working in the fields. If you saw all this, you'd be appalled, but you'd have no idea this isn't Bay's real work. The, that starts at night, when she and her housemates cover the windows with blankets, light a small candle, and sit in a tight circle. Bay gets out a book. Hmm. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, she reads. This is Bay's real work. This is the North Korean underground church. In North Korea, Christians face imprisonment in harsh labor camps and even death. But despite the dangers, Bay continues to serve Christ there as a house church leader. Recently, she was able to get a letter to our partner in China. So this was her letter. Hey, Benny, listen up. This was her letter. Dear brother, 
We are well and at peace through the grace of Jesus Christ and your prayers. When our Bible was found, it was immediately destroyed. And because we are Christians, we were exiled to a remote village with no chance of ever leaving. Work here is hard. Rations are limited or food. We are always hungry or sick. We need to forage to survive. That means they go out in the fields and try to find food to survive. But every morning when I open my eyes, I feel the presence of the Lord and thank our Father God that I am still strong enough to be used as his servant. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even though it was difficult, I recently was able to cross the border into China. There I met with other Christians. They gave me food, medicine, and by the grace of God, a new Bible. I was offered a place to stay in China. It would have meant freedom, but I could not abandon my family and church, however small it may be. From your perspective, brother, our suffering must appear as though we live a cursed life. However, we see it as a blessing because it is a shortcut to the Father. But yet, brother, I have one more request, that you send our gratitude to those who continue to pray for us. In return, we'll stay healthy and continue to spread the gospel throughout North Korea, your sister in Christ. So she's living right now in North Korea and doing God's work there. And you know what? Something we can do here for them, for her. What is something that we could do? Do you guys have any ideas? We could maybe send them food or money if we go through a certain organization, but there's something that's even more important, praying for them. So I thought maybe this morning we could pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. Do you think that would be a good idea? Okay. All right. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Hey, Benny, we're going to pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning so thankful for who you are. Thank you so much for the freedom that we do have in this country to gather together in a public place and to worship you and praise you together, singing loudly and praising your name. But Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea who are not able to do that today, but who are gathering together and softly whispering, Um, songs of praise and reading your word. Jesus, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. Father, I pray that they would see your love for them in so many ways today as they go throughout their day, as they work hard. I pray you would give them opportunity to share the gospel with those who are around them. And God, I pray for boldness, that you would continue to give them boldness and strength to share the good news no matter what it costs and no matter where they may go in prison or to uh, remote villages. And God, I pray for the same boldness for us, that we would share your word, that we would love those around us in school, um, in our homes. Father, that we would not be ashamed to be identified with you, but God, that we would be bold in, um, in sharing the good news to this world. Thank you so much for these children. Jesus, raise them up to love you to go wherever you call, whether that's across the street to their neighbor or around the world to North Korea or South Korea or China. Jesus, I pray that they would be willing to go wherever you ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you guys want to sing a song yet? Yes. (laughs) I was thinking a good one would be the B-I-B-L-E. Do you guys know that one? We haven't sang it for a long time. Do you remember it? 
Okay, stand up. Everybody stand up. See if we can remember the words. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. Then G-L-O-R-Y. Then G-L-O-R-Y. When my work is done, he'll take me home to G-L-O-R-Y. So it spells the Bible. And then it was, and I'm happy, and then he'll take me to glory at the end, right? Shall we do it one more time? Do you guys remember it? Okay. The B-L-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. Years ago, in a kids' group that I taught, we would sing that song, and I don't, I don't think they knew Phil. Well, I know they didn't know Phil, but uh, they must have taken a page out of his book because at the end of G L O R Y, they would shout "Glory" as loud as they could. So you missed out, Phil. <laughs> Thank you all for being here this morning. It's good to have you all here, all the home folks, all the visitors. This is your first time here. Welcome. We have uh, coffee, tea, and water in the back there. Please help yourselves. Uh, restroom facilities are back that hall to my left. After the service, we have a lunch plan, so everybody please stay and partake in that and join us in that time of fellowship as well. For a few other announcements. Um, we got a wedding happening later this week, I think. Is anyone excited about that? You're not excited about it? <laughs> Where's the guy that's supposed to be excited about it? Oh, he's hiding back there. Okay. Well, we're looking forward to that. And uh, as usual, prayer Saturday mornings here. Everybody's welcome. Continue to pray for Christy and Ali and the... Safe arrival of uh, child number three. What was the name again? I forget. Rio. Okay. Well, that's going to be really exciting. I don't know. That was lame. <laughs> Rio. Yeah, there you go. So we'll keep you in our prayers. Um, 
thought there was something else I was supposed to announce. I don't remember what it was anymore, though. Is there, any, is there anything else, Phil? Nothing coming up this week. All right, well, let's, uh, before we turn it over to Phil to uh, bring the word to us, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I thank you for this time you have brought us to here today. I thank you for the, uh, the presence, your presence that you have given us here this morning, the power of your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. And I pray, Father, that our worship and praise has been acceptable in your sight. And I pray that it would continue to lift our hearts and our souls heavenward, that you would be honored and glorified. And now as your word is brought forth, Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. You know the needs of each heart. You know what we need to hear. And we know that you, through your word, have all the answers that we need. So speak to your people here this morning and open our hearts to receive your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Leonard Toddy, um, he was here at church last Sunday with his family, and during the service, he walked out. Uh, his wife and daughter helped him out, uh, and they went to the hospital. His, his left side, I think, went, was going numb on him, and he said it felt like it was just starting to go asleep on him. They ended up taking him to the ER, and he had uh, some form of stroke. Uh, and so I, I went to see him Sunday afternoon, and uh, Leona, his wife, uh, prayed with her, and they did release him from the hospital, and he was hoping to be here this morning in his family, but he's still not feeling the best. And so he, he texted me and said, thanks for your prayers, but just continue to pray that the Lord would bless him and be with him and, and his family and strengthen his heart. He's had numerous health issues uh, and a struggle of that. So let's just continue to pray. Father, we lift up Brother Leonard, Toddy, and, and Leona, and the family, Lord, before you. Even at, as, they, as they watch online now, Lord, bless them. I pray, pour out your spirit into their inner man, and renew them again today, and strengthen their hearts with your grace. Fill them with your joy. Let them be rooted and grounded in their daddy's love for them, Lord, and your care over their lives. Thank you for watching over them, that he didn't fall over and die here yesterday morning, but that you still have a purpose and a plan for him. And I pray that you would just touch him, revive him, and continue to use him mightily in your kingdom, Lord, and, uh, and renew their spirits in their hearts as they, as they walk with you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah, when you were telling us that story, reading that story about this little girl in Korea, or young lady, my mind went to a story I read years ago of a little girl. I don't remember how old she was. I think she was about 10 years old. So uh, in, in some place, they were having a church meeting like this. And all of a sudden, as the pastor was up here sharing the word, soldiers marched in the door with machine guns, and everyone was quiet. And the soldier comes up to the brother who was sharing the word, and he grabs his Bible, 
Everybody's quiet. And he says, every one of you, come up here and spit on the Bible as a form that you detest it and you deny its power and God. Everyone was quiet. And he said, starting with you, starting with the pastor. He said, any one of you that don't spit on the Bible, we're going to shoot you dead right here. Everybody was quiet. The pastor walks out. And everyone followed. Except for one little girl. And after all that spit was on the Bible, she comes up to the soldier and smiles at him. She kneels down and she wipes all the spit off of the Bible and she kisses it. Shoots her dead right there. She went to glory that day. The B-I-B-L-E took her straight to glory. What do you think her experience was in the moment? Coming into the arms of Jesus. While all the others were ashamed. Unless they repented. Dealt with that shame for the rest of their lives. How much do you love the Bible? It's easy for us to say, I love the Bible. But do you love it unto death? <clears throat> The Lord is here this morning and is doing marvelous things in our midst that I know. And when the Spirit moves among God's people, there's all kinds of amazing things that are happening in our hearts. And we're not even able to put into words what's happening right here. And I sense very strongly my spirit, and I have coming up today for some reason as we... As I was praying for this day, I, I felt this for a matter a number of months. That this is gonna happen. And it's going to continue to happen with us. To all those who surrender to the Lord and to those of us who are. We're not sure and even fearful. The Holy Spirit is coming and he's knocking on your door. Come, open up. I want to do something special with you. More special than I've ever done up to this day. I want to do something in you. I want to do something through you. Like it's never been done up today. In John chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a teacher of the Bible, a teacher of their Bible. Regularly went to church, to the synagogue and taught. 
for many, many years, an esteemed man, a member of the council of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Israel. And the reason we know that is because later on in the story, John records of when Jesus healed the blind man and the Sanhedrin gathered together to try to find out who this man was that caused the blind man to see. And the blind man said to him, will you also believe? Nicodemus spoke up and said, hey, does our law judge a man before it knows him? And they looked at all looked at Nicodemus and said, Are you also a Galilean? And they all went home. So this is who Nicodemus was. And he Nicodemus had a even though he was a prestigious man in Israel, inside he was a different man. He was scared. There were fears in his heart. And so he comes to Jesus, not during the day. But somehow he arranged a meeting at nighttime under the cover of darkness, a secret meeting with Jesus. It's the only secret meeting that we can read that Jesus had with anyone at nighttime. But Jesus was willing to have it with this man. And just in case you're thinking, oh, Nicodemus, you chicken, sometimes... God understands, God always understands exactly where we are with Him. And He meets us where we are. And then God does this work inside of us that no one else really seems to see or know about. But slowly He builds courage within our hearts. Here Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the nighttime, secretly. Because he didn't want the rest of Israel or the Sanhedrin council, his friends there, to find out. Look what he says to Jesus. Chapter 3, the Gospel of John, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, Jesus, by night and said to him, Note this confession, Rabbi. No other Pharisee had confessed Jesus as a rabbi. Now you have to understand the title rabbi and what it meant in the Jewish culture. Rabbi was a teacher, but more than a teacher. A teacher whom men followed. Nicodemus was recognizing Jesus as a teacher of authority. And this is how he recognized him. Rabbi, we know. He didn't say I know. He said we know. We know. That you have come from God. Whoa. He couldn't have said that publicly. We know you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus here was undercover. Confessing to Jesus on a personal level. Something he could never confess publicly. But then later, when the blind man was brought into the Sanhedrin council, he sticks up for Jesus a little bit. Hey, wait a minute, guys. Do we judge a man before we hear him? Jesus had never been brought to the council yet. And he was challenging his friends in the council saying, we should bring Jesus in here and question him before we judge him. And they all went home. But then a very important thing happens. We don't read about Nicodemus 
until Jesus died on the cross. And there, Nicodemus had the courage to go with Joseph of Arimathea, another member of the council, and take Jesus' body down off the cross and put him into the grave. You see how Nicodemus grew in his faith, in his boldness, and finally identified with Jesus in his death. So before you condemn Nicodemus, I wanted you to see the undercover side of him, where his heart was. This is how it is for many Christians still today who are in church settings that are strong and a system that they're afraid of. Because the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, they were going to throw him out of church. Out! And when you're thrown out of the Jewish synagogue, you're not welcome to any synagogue. You were an outsider of the whole culture, of your village. No one received you. You were excommunicated. It was severe. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus was old. He's like, how can I? What? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's belly, womb, and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, the first birth, when a baby's born out of its mother's belly, and you women are going to say, you don't know what you're talking about, but I hear there's a lot of water that comes out, right? They say the woman's water broke. means there's water that keeps the baby somehow safe and God created it and designed it in an amazing way. So you must be born of water. Unless you're born of water, you can't be born of the Spirit. A human being you must be first. Dogs can't be born again. Cows can't be born again. Chickens can't be converted and born of the Spirit. No animal or no other species gets this wonderful privilege. This call of God, the Creator, to be born of His Spirit. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's all it is. When we are born from our mother's womb, We are flesh. We're flesh and bones. But there's something inside of us that is not born yet. It's dead towards God. And that's our spirit. And so we find ourselves in life, growing up in life, and we're subject to the flesh. Our flesh, our own will, our own emotions. We were talking about this morning how we're not to be governed by how we feel. But we can't help it. We are. We feel, so we talk. We feel, so we look grumpy. We feel, we get angry. We feel, we're governed by our emotions, how we feel. We hurt, so we cry. 
we're governed by our flesh. We get determined, so we do. We're governed by our will. I will do this. And nothing is impossible to me when he wills strongly. So the world says, where there's a will, there's a way. Wrong. God never said that. That's the world. You will not will yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot do it. You cannot cry yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot feel yourself into the kingdom of heaven. What is flesh is flesh. That's it. Flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. Cannot. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's not flesh. It's not emotion. It's led by the Holy Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must have a second birth. You see, in Revelation, it tells us there are two deaths. There's the first death, and there's the second death. The first death is our body. Our body, the flesh, will die first. But there is a second death of the soul, the spirit. And that's an eternal lake of fire, Jesus describes it. Away from the presence of God for all eternity. That's the second death. And Revelation says, He that is delivered from the second death, he that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will not taste death. The second death. You only die once, not twice. But if you're not born twice, you'll die twice. And so this is really important. It's a matter of life and death. Either you die twice or you're born twice. And those who are born twice only die once. Because the Spirit of the living God who birthed Himself in my heart, in my spirit now, and made my spirit alive to God, will never die. Never taste of eternal death. You must be born again. Verse 8 is the key verse for today. The wind blows where it wishes. Who controls the wind? Have you ever met anyone who controls the wind? No man. Thank you. There is someone who controls the wind. It tells us in the word, I think it's in Job, the wind is the breath of God. So when it's a windy day, I tell the boys, boy, God is panting today. He's really breathing hard on us. Jesus controlled the wind. You remember the story in the boat with his disciples? They were crossing over. Jesus was up praying. And a big storm comes in. The wind was howling. The waves were crashing. And they were sure they were going to die. And Jesus says, Wind, be still. And the disciples were like, Oh! This is crazy. This guy can control the wind. 
The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from or where it's going. Have you, do you know where the wind comes from? No. Do you know where it's going next? No. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't know how it works, but when the breath of God comes into my heart, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but that it comes from God, and I don't know where it's going to take me. Only God does. But something important happens to this person who is born of the Spirit. He now no longer is in control with his flesh. He loses control of his life and his destiny. There's no more, I will do this or do that. James says, all that is boasting. Don't say, I will go to a city tomorrow and make money. I will go to this place. No, all that is arrogant boasting for a Christian. He says, you will say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Why is that so important? Because you've lost control. If you're born of the Spirit, something very significantly happens. Your flesh is no longer in control of your life. Not your will, not your emotions, and not your body. You're bought with a price. Now you glorify God in your spirit and in your soul, which are God's. And now the wind controls you. Not another man. The wind, the breath of God controls your emotions, controls your thoughts, and most importantly, controls your will, what you will do. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? And Jesus is asking you, Are you my child? Have you been a Christian for so long and you don't understand this? Do you understand this, dear fellow Christian? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness, Jesus is saying. You don't receive it as God speaking, as God doing in your life because who you are and what you do is determined by the church you belong to, the church you grew up in. That's who Nicodemus was. The culture he grew up in. The people he belonged to. That's what ruled his life. Verse 13. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him May have eternal life. Wind life. Wind life. Be driven with the wind. 
This verse is commonly preached as the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. But this verse so many times is completely taken out of context that most people who come to Jesus and believe that He is the Son of God, believe that He has forgiven their sins and they receive forgiveness from their sins, that's all they get out of this whole truth. They miss the born of the wind part and the controlled by the wind part. And so, after they've come up here and said a prayer and someone has prayed with them, they walk away feeling light and free because they're released from their past sins but they walk out the door still in control of their own life, their own destiny, their own dreams, their own will. And not long after that, it only takes a day or two. And all of a sudden, they seem to have lost everything that happened here because they sin again and they sin again. And they're still doing their own thing. And the same struggle of flesh is still there. They're still subject to their flesh. They haven't released that and given complete control to the wind. They're like boats without sails. They're run by their oars. When you have no sail in your boat... You control the speed in which you go. You control which way you go. But I want you to note something. When you're out in the ocean, when you're trying to row your boat, how much control do you really have? Hmm? Not very much. How far do you get to your destiny? How quickly do you think you could get to the other side of the pond, as they say, to Southampton, England, from New York in a rowboat? Anybody, any volunteers? Now, maybe a whole lot more than that. Maybe a couple months. So it might take you a couple months to do it with a sailboat. I don't know. But do you notice the energy it would take? You'd have to pack so much food, you'd probably run out of food because you'd be burning so many calories. You, I don't think it would be possible. Do you? Really? Wow. There you go. He reads. He remembers. Some people have done it. You could too. If you work hard enough, you build enough energy, you have enough determination, you can do it. But I want you to notice the difference though. What were you going to say? Wouldn't you so much rather just put up that sail? Let the wind take you over there? Yeah, me too. Born of the Spirit. I titled this sermon, A Church on the Move. Do you know how many Christians like to determine their own life and purpose their plans and their family life and their church life and, and figure it out and then walk that way according to their own plans and still have their sins forgiven, but, but, but. But Jesus said, 
when the Holy Spirit comes, everyone, everyone who is born of the Spirit will be like this. This is how you live. You lose control of your life. And the Lord who controls the wind moves you here and there, both in your spirit and in your body. Beginning, first of all, in our spirits. Look at this, how he begins here. It begins in our spirit. In 2 Corinthians... In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit says, verse 16. I'm going to begin actually in in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. What controls you? Your will, your flesh, or the love of God? Paul says, no more my flesh, no more I will do this or I will do that. Not even my belief system. There's only one thing that has control of me. The Holy Spirit, the love of Christ. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. We died to sin. We died to our flesh and its will when we surrender to God. And He died for all that they who live, verse 15, should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. When I'm talking to you, I'm not looking at your body and thinking how you know, masculine you are, how beautiful you are, or, or, you know. No, no, no. I'm not looking at your outward body and communicating with your body. We are now talking to each other's souls. We're looking into each other's eyes and we're speaking to each other's souls and spirits. And that's how our words minister grace to the heart. When we begin to not recognize each other in the flesh, but we recognize each other as sons and daughters of God, born of the Spirit. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have been known, we have known Christ according to the flesh. There were days when the disciples, that's all they knew about Jesus. They didn't know him as a spirit. Jesus was a man who came and showed showed up at their workplace in the seashore and said, follow me. Follow me. He met Levi, Matthew at the tax office and said, hey, Matthew, come follow me. And they did. They followed a real person. They weren't just following a voice, a spirit. He was a real man. And they stayed and they hung out with that man every day. They lived with him as a person. They seen all the miracles he did as a real man. They ate together. They drank together. They slept together. They did life together. But Paul says those days are over. When Jesus died on the cross... And went into the grave. He did not rise with the same body anymore. He now rose as a new man. And when he ascended up on high. And now sent the Holy Spirit. That's not how you can relate to Jesus anymore. You now recognize Christ. As wind. The breath of God. That is a forceful gale. Wind in our life. 
which drives me, controls me. My inner man. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Everything in your life becomes new. Nothing stays the same. Nothing. Every past experience, every past thought, every past sin, every past achievement, all gone. Nothing remains. You're born new person. Think of it in the first birth. When a baby's in the womb and a baby is born into this world, does any of the old remain? No. They're in a whole new environment. Everything changes. So it is when you're born of the Spirit. Everything changes. So do you understand how important and why Jesus said you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven? To even be and live in the kingdom of heaven while you live on the earth? Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is continuing to happen inside of me. Old things pass away, new things come. Old things pass away, new things come. As I grow in Christ, I have to let the old go, always receiving new things from Jesus. And this is what happens to us. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16, but whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He was talking about Moses when he read the law to Israel. His face shone so brightly when he came out from God's presence, they had to put a cloth over his head, his face, because they couldn't look at him. It blinded their eyes. It was like a deer caught in the headlight thing. He's, you know, in a dark night when you stand and all of a sudden someone turns on a bright flashlight, you can't see anything except the light. That's how it is for, was for Israel. So they had to put a shield over his face to dim the light. So they couldn't even stand looking at him while he talked to him. But not so with Jesus. That's how it was in the old. Not now anymore. That's gone. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I don't know if you know what that means, that word liberty. But whenever the Holy Spirit comes, the reason he said it's liberty, you've been set free, is you've been set free from everything of the old. Everything. Your sins, your will, your emotions, your own, your own determinations, all of those things, your spirit is no more subject to it. You've been set free. But we all, with unveiled face, this is what we're set free to do. Now, no more veil over our face. We all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Did you know this book is a mirror? James says 
And whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty is like a man looking into a mirror. This is your mirror. And what do you see in the mirror? Yourself? Do you? No. When you look in this mirror, you see the glory of the Lord and it does something to you. Our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Your hair are nice. Wrecks your hair. You combed them really nice this morning. The wind takes care of that the moment you step into it. The moment you step into the glory of the Lord, the wind changes everything. Changes you. Your spirit is renewed, is changed, is moved, is affected. You don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going. But you know it's from the Lord. The spirit is of the Lord. You see, we don't think of the Holy Spirit enough and correctly as in a wind. A driving force. God's breath. God's love as a wind in our life. And you don't get to control the wind. Nor do I. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Changes my inner man that way. Now let's see how it affects our outer life. And I'm going to share this with you to show you from example in the book of Acts how it changed these people's lives. And before we get to Acts 1, we'll start in Luke Luke does a pretty good job of describing how the disciples felt after Jesus was crucified and after he rose from the dead. This is how they felt. And this is what they did about their feelings. Their feelings controlled them. In, um, in Luke chapter... In Luke chapter 24... The first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead, first of all, the women found him, right? Mary found him at the tomb. And in verse 4 it says, and it happened that while they were perplexed about this. So I want you to notice how they felt. What does the word perplexed mean? Very confused. Are you confused about the resurrection of Jesus in your inner man? You don't know what's going on. That's what it means. You just don't know what's going on. Secondly, about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the woman were terrified. Okay, now you're not only confused, you are terrified. And that word is just as strong as it sounds. You are in fear. Fear grips your soul. When you're terrified, it means like, you're out of control scared. You're confused, but you are out of control scared. You're not in control anymore. Wait, this is what was going on in these people's hearts when Jesus rose from the dead. The first time when he experienced his resurrection, this is how it affected them in their flesh. And then they announced it and continued. And then we see in verse 11... And these words appeared 
the, the women came to the disciples. How many times had Jesus told the disciples this was going to happen to him, by the way? Do you know? Many, many times, over and over, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Do this. Now it happened. And the women were telling them, Jesus rose from the dead. And no one remembered what Jesus said. Listen to this. And these, they were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. Wait, nonsense? Really? Yeah, nonsense. And they would not believe them. But Peter rose up and he ran to the tomb and stopping and looking, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home marveling that which had happened. And then we see the two men walking out into the countryside into a little village. And they, Jesus shows up and they tell Jesus all this confusion and this, this stuff that's happening. And it's, it's nonsense to them. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah. And Jesus speaks right into their heart. And this is how he describes them in verse 25. And he said to them, oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And that's so many times how many Christians are. The condition is they're foolish because they still are controlled with their flesh. Like Paul told the Corinthians, they're just mere men. They're still acting in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And when the breath of God comes into their life and he begins to move in their hearts and old things begin to pass away and God brings new things into their life, old relationships are gone, new ones come and it startles them. It terrifies them. The wind is terrifying to the flesh because it's not in control anymore. Unless you go subject yourself to the wind, then it's not terrifying. There's a difference. You will either spend your life fighting the wind, building Walls in your life and castles in which you can hide and keep yourself safe from the wind. Or you'll go out and lift the sail and yield to the wind. Your life. What did they do? Well, we know what they did. Peter, I'm going to use him as an example of this Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Numerous times when Jesus spoke of his crucifixion, he was one of the ones that said, I will. In fact, one time he told Jesus, though all men forsake you, I will not. I'm going to die with you, Jesus. I will. And Jesus just left him say it. But then he did tell him, no, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Before the dawn comes tomorrow morning, you actually deny you ever seen me or known me. You'll deny me so vehemently, you're going to curse and swear you never knew me. No identity with me. That's how weak his flesh was. Did it take him into the kingdom of God? No. What did? What changed? Jesus said to them 
in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized. Do you know what that means? We just we had some baptisms. What happened to the person when they were baptized? What happened to them? They went completely under the water. They subjected themselves willingly. And they, they weren't in control. They didn't kneel forward. They knelt down and left me and a few others take them and put them completely under the water. Completely out of control. The Father has promised that John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized. Phil can only baptize with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they did, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power, wind power, wind power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and this is what he will do with you. You shall be witnesses. That word is martyrs. That's the word. And you shall be living martyrs, witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. The wind will drive you there. Witnesses, the wind will burn you up, martyr you, your life. When a fire comes, Driven with the wind, nothing stays the same. Did you see the pictures in Hawaii, in Maui? We've seen it up right up here in Colorado, you know, just a few years ago. Up here in the mountains behind Loveland and, and it, uh, up here on the Buckhorn. I remember I went up there shortly after the fire blew through there. And it was, I had been up there numerous times. Beautiful, wonderful, nice green forest and Beautiful log cabin homes and, and some majestically modern new built homes up on the hilltops. And when I got up there, there was nothing but ashes. And this one man in particular, I remember so well, he ordered a shed from us and he had me bring up his shed. He had lost everything in the fire. And as I went up his long, windy drive up to the top of the mountain, it was still kind of smoldering. It was just, there was like the thick smell of smoke and dust and ash everywhere. And we looked around and he was showing me there's where the foundation of the house was. Over and there was trash everywhere, only metal parts laying, burnt up cars. Nothing stayed the same. Nothing remained. John said in John chapter 3 that Jesus, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's his baptism. A fire that makes everything, changes everything. Your old is burned up. 
Everything's made new by the wind, the Holy Spirit. Let's see what happened to Peter. And you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Greeley. You shall be witnesses in the United States and even to the uttermost parts of the world in Thailand. Yes, everywhere the wind drives you, you will be baptized with fire. Old things burning up, new things coming up, driven with the wind. A church on the move. You get married and Judd and Megan's old life is going to burn up. It's over, man. It's over. No more living at home, Megan. Megan's smiling. I said, of course not, Dad. And Judd's like, bye-bye, Dad and Mom. I'm moving out. Old things are going to pass away. We're now a family. All things become new in my life. All when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And when the day, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place doing just what we're doing now. Praying, sharing the word, and then something happened, which they didn't control. And suddenly, this is what God wants to do in your life and in mine. And it's happening right now, right here. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Do you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Really? And with fire? Do you want to receive the promise of the Father? Then you're going to be subject to a violent rushing wind of fire. You sure you wanted that? Or do you just want to come up here and say a little prayer and have your sins forgiven and go back to your normal life? Determine you're not going to deny Christ. Determine you're going to serve Him for the rest of your life. Determine, determine, determine like Peter was, but always failing. Going back to fishing, discouraged, denying. Which one? The Father has promised this. And if you'll come to Him and say, Lord, I'm taking up my anchors. you got to take up your anchors. He's not going to do that for you. You have to come and subject yourself to Him and say, All right, Lord, anchors up, sail up. The Lord will do the rest. You won't know where it's coming or where it's going. You only know one thing. The Holy Spirit is moving you, is moving in your life, is changing things in my heart, transforming me from glory to glory, changing my thought life, changing my, my, my whole attitude, changing my, my goals in life, changing everything, changing the things I used to love and, and be addicted to and, and, and changing my love and, and, and addictions to, to the kingdom of God and Changing relationships and changing atmospheres and changing my work and changing where I live and changing where I go to church and everything. Everything. Starting from within. Boy, did it change. 
and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. You see? There it was. Tongues as of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they rested on each one of them. Not one missed it. Not one. It wasn't just the preacher. It was you in the pew. It was you, child. It was all of them. Not one missed this baptism. And all of them began to speak. Boy, what a noisy bunch that church became in a moment. Instead of just one preacher, they were all preaching. Wouldn't that change things in here? Maybe there'd be a lot of more life of Christ within, springing up from within us, among us. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Who was in control? The Holy Spirit was putting within them words and they spoke as the words were put into their hearts. And it was so similar to drunkenness that the outsiders, those who were not filled with the Holy Spirit, said, these guys are drunk. Have you seen a drunk man lately? I have. I see him quite often down here, actually. Just the other night, this guy, I don't know where he gets all his alcohol from. There's plenty of liquor stores around. But he, he comes up the street. And he's singing on top of his voice and he's laughing and, and sometimes he's on his bike and he bikes back and forth across the road and sometimes he's walking and he's just talking to himself and he's hollering and, and if I say, hey, you go, hey, how you doing? I mean, he's just out of control. He's not acting normal. But there's something about him that is so similar to the Holy Spirit that I ask the Lord to do in my life daily. Can you guess what that is? Rejoice. Out of control, rejoice. Some... He simply doesn't care what anyone thinks. He doesn't care. He's drunk. And he simply doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's doing his thing, man. Right up down the road and just in his world. The Holy Spirit is in control. He doesn't, he takes you out of control, but there is someone who is in control. Now that guy is in control whiskey or liquor or whatever there. But there's something similar enough that the people said, these people are crazy. They're drunk in the noonday. And then Peter does a drunken thing. Yep, he starts talking loud and clear, he loses all his shyness. First thing that happened to Peter. Old shy Peter, old fearful Peter, Peter which denied knowing Christ, stands up and he starts preaching and he says, you crucified Jesus, you should repent. Wow, the boldness of Peter transformed him completely. What did? What happened? He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. His old had burned up. His new had come. And from that day on, Peter was driven with the wind of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And look what was happening among them. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They were praising God. And then Peter and John began to labor together and they go into the temple and and they heal the the lame man and, and they serve together. And Peter preaches them there another sermon. And then they get arrested. I mean, God is changing their life, right? All of a sudden they're thrown in jail and they're beaten and they come out rejoicing. Who let them out? The angel. Open the, go- the, the gates of the prison in the nighttime. This was a church on the move. Things were happening. Inside is where it started and quickly moved into their bodies as a force of wind. Power. God's power. Affecting other people's lives. They were brought to the Sanhedrin. They were threatened, beaten, and released. And they all come together as a church in verse 31 of chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. Comes the wind again. Shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That was the result. You lose your shyness. Are you ready for that? If you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's one thing that happened to everyone who was born of the Holy Spirit. They lost their reserve shyness. No more shyness. The wind takes you into other people's lives. And you speak the word of God with bold love. Bold, humbled love. And then the church grows. And in chapter 5, people start selling their things. Barnabas gets filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and he sells his farm and he, and he brings the money and he says, here, distribute it to the needs of the people because there were some very, very poor people there. And hey, this is a good thing. And so we have Ananias and Sapphira who thought, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Isn't that a great idea? Carries are... You know, Karen, Sarah, they're going to move to Thailand. Hey, where should we go? Maybe we should go to China or maybe North Korea. Let's all go. Wait a minute. Had the Holy Spirit told them to do that? No. So you know what they did? They did it in their flesh, their own thoughts. Hey, we'll sell We'll keep part of the money back for us because we need something to live on. We're not going to do like Barnabas, give it all and trust God to take care of us. That's what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. But we, we want to be like that. So, but we'll keep part of it back. And, and they lied, right? They lied. And here's the story in Acts chapter 5. And here's an interesting thing that Peter says to them. While it remained unsold did it not remain your own and after it was sold was it not under your control you see where peter was going but he said verse 3 but peter said ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land and as he heard these words ananias 
fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all the church. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't pretend this. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying. Don't pretend you're filled with me when you're living your life, your will, or just giving me part of your heart. No pretense here. Either you put up that sail and you surrender everything to me or you keep it all under your control. Don't give yourself halfway to me because you want the reputation of being filled with the Spirit, being used by God. You will die. You will. You might not physically like Ananias did. You might. But you certainly will in your spirit. The Lord will not be with you. You'll die spiritually. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. Verse 12. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And many were added to their number. And we continue to see the church moving on from there. But you know what moved them on from here after that? Persecution. Yes, men's hatred. Scattered them everywhere. Keep reading through the book of Acts and you'll come to the chapter 8 where Saul is mad against the church. Get ready. When the Holy Spirit baptizes you with fire and with the wind, He also uses men's anger to drive you, to cause you to leave your comfort zones, to cause you to leave the the good, sweet fellowship. Pinky swear we're going to die together right here in Jerusalem. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit says, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I told you to go to the other most parts of the world, not stay in Jerusalem. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a man so mad, he's going to knock all your doors down. He's going to haul you off to prison. He's going to beat you. He's going to kill you until you run for your lives. Everybody's scattered. That's what I'm going to do with you because you're filled with me. I'm going to be that forceful win in your life. Use a madman to scatter you. You want to be a church on the move? This is what God does. It is. And they went everywhere, fearful, running for their lives, saying, We're going to build ourselves little shelters and bomb shelters and hide under the bushes. No, no, no. They went everywhere preaching Jesus. That was what was in their hearts. And it flowed out to everywhere. And then once God had them all scattered, then the Lord says, okay, now time for rest. And the You know the story, Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit comes on his life, midday, changing his life completely, doing the same thing to him. And after he got on fire and started burning, then madmen came and were determined to kill him. So the church says, back home 
back home to Tarsus, Paul. And nobody hears from Paul, from Paul for about 10 years. And the churches could breathe and had rest. Note, the churches, not the church at Jerusalem. Everywhere they were scattered. The Lord gives them rest. And they grew because things were still happening all over the place. Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles. What? That's crazy. They had went everywhere preaching to the Jews. Now he goes to a Roman soldier and the Roman soldier gets filled with the Holy Spirit. We never heard of such a thing. Yep, neither did I. But Peter says, I wasn't in control. He just came when I was preaching. I had to baptize him. Wouldn't you have? So the church on the move continued. And so the church on the move continues. And you don't have to sign up for this. You can choose to have your sins forgiven. Go join a, a church where it's been there for hundreds and thousands of years and nothing changes. You're a good citizen. You do your civil duty. You go to work. You work hard. You build your business. When your barns get full, you tear them down and you build bigger. You have children. You pass your wealth on to your generation, next generation. And that's your life and you die. Or you could pull up your anchors and raise your sail. And say, God, I'm not doing that. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be driven with the wind. The force of your Spirit in me. I want that happening in my heart. All the affections of my heart burning up. New affections coming. Changed from glory to glory. And then my whole life changes. Relationships change. My business life changes. My goals change. And I'm driven all the way to Colorado from Pennsylvania. Wow, I didn't see that coming. That's what happened to me when the Holy Spirit came to me. This is my story. This can be your story. This still is my story. And when I get too settled in for too many years, the Lord will raise up a madman. Scatter him. And they went everywhere preaching Jesus. Or did they go everywhere complaining and talking about why that happened and try to figure, no. Did they go everywhere talking about Saul? No. They went everywhere talking about another person. The one who was driving them. The one who was controlling them. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who had immersed them into his spirit. And who was in control of the wind. And I want to this morning invite you into this. Because that's who we are. This is who this church is. And when the Lord moves among us. And through us. And in us. I get excited. And you may say what? Aren't you going to miss him? Yep. Like crazy. More than you know. But I'm excited for this reason. God is on the move. And we are a church on the move. And God's wind is blowing into our hearts. 
And he's changing us. And we get converted and born again. Right, Jordan? And everything changes. And more things change. And more things will keep changing over and over and over again. A church on the move. Things that will cause us to be in awe of God. Cause us to fall on our faces and weep. When Lori goes home. Just like that. And we worship. The church is on the move. The Lord is changing up things all the time in our life. So that our confidence is not in a man or in a system or even in what we believe is God's way for us. What we know now today to be his will for me can change tomorrow. And so our confidence is only in God and in his purposes for a life. I had a dear friend, many friends actually, who are not happy with this kind of life. They're not happy and they'll actually call it evil, uncontrolled. I remember a young boy I grew up with. He's now a part of the uh, Episcopalian church. he's, He's a priest in the Aglingen Episcopalian church. Grew up in the same church I did. Do you know what he says? Why he joined that church? All this was happening in our young lives. Holy Spirit was breathing on us. Churches were splitting. People were being revived. God's Spirit was being poured out. Hearts were changing. Businesses were being sold. People were moving. And he's like, this is all craziness. I'm going to go join the church of Peter. Did you know that's what they say? They believe they can trace their lineage all the way back to the church that Peter founded. And so they're the original church. And nothing changes. Their theology is in place. Stays like that. Has for hundreds and thousands of years. And he said, that's the church I'm going to be a part of. Okay. Okay. But my life sure hasn't been like that. And I don't want that life. God is calling me to this life. Will you join me? Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word. heard Phil and others say at times that boring can be good, and it can, but there's also the aspect that if you're sold out to following the Holy Spirit and His plan, your life, it might have these boring times, but it's not going to be boring for long. It'll it'll shake things up. He certainly will do that. But where he uh, shakes things out, he is 
He's faithful to lead you wherever that shaking lands you. Something you never have to be scared of. All right, that ends that part of our service. Uh, I guess. Uh, First of all, uh, Brother Phil here forgot one scripture. And it says in Hebrews, those who live righteously shall suffer persecution. No way around it. I tried that over the years, and it doesn't work. Uh, In fact, I had the privilege of turning 70 on Tuesday this past uh, week. Um, Also, I would like to say, how many here get bored? Bored. Well, how do you get bored? You know, when I first became a Christian, I heard people say, well, it's a boring life. Well, could somebody show me that uh, being a Christian is a boring life? Because I haven't had it. As Pastor Phil was sharing, actually, uh, when you have that close relationship, or even maybe not as close, but yet it's still not boring. And if any time you think you're bored, well, it says in the Bible, too, it says, be still and know that I'm God. So, and so if you're bored, just pray, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, and uh, you definitely won't have a boring life. Thank you. Amen. All right. uh, Lunch will be ready shortly. I think there's some... Burgers and hot dogs going on out there, so food will be ready shortly. Uh, If you can, let's stand to our feet. Merv, would you like to dismiss us with prayer and a blessing on the noon meal, please? Dismissed.